Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord who calls us to this day of Easter, resurrection, the first day of the week. We remember still that the Easter message continues. It is a joy to be with you, to share with you in this time of worship. Thank you for sharing in this time at First Church. Your presence is a blessing to us, especially those who may be visiting. And again, I'll remind you of the registration pads because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship at First Church this morning. Uh, as we gather, a word of thanks as well for your prayers as Paul and I spent some time off after the Easter celebration. Thanks to, Matt, uh, to Sarah Whitmore as well and to our choral musical leadership for what I understand was a wonderful time of worship last Sunday as well. Uh, as we look forward into May, I hope you are attentive to the opportunities that are before us, especially as we remember the church picnic in two weeks, as we see the invitations to be involved in preparation for Vacation Bible School, and as we anticipate being a part of the back-to-school back ministry as well. You see uh, news about all of these vital ministries before us in our bulletins, and please be supportive and attentive to these opportunities by which to serve God. As we gather this morning, we do remember that the, the church now lives in the light of resurrection, and we, so we read from Scripture about the growth of the church, and on our bulletin cover is also a stained glass window, the fourth window over on this, uh, to my right, you see in the bottom panel, uh, that is Paul, and, and that represents his conversion on the road to Damascus, so I'm grateful for that witness as a part of this church and look forward to sharing in that word with you, and look forward as well to finding our place at the table of our Lord. I invite us to prepare to worship God together.
morning to you all. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. We are in the season of Easter, and so for the next few weeks as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we are going to be doing a fun uh, but meaningful introit, all of us together. I would, many of you I know are going to know this hymn, but I would invite you to turn, if you don't, to, to your, um, in your hymnals or watching the PowerPoint um, for <coughs> hymn 177, which is the hymn, He is Lord. And so we're going to do it in a different style every week, but today I'm going to lead it. Then I'm going to invite our wonderful choir to join me in the second verse, and then I would like for you to join us all and, and sing this as a beginning proclamation of faith in our worship together. Um, as we will sing twice, all of us as a corporate body, He is Lord. So may I invite you to stand. Remain standing, please. We share in our call to worship as it is before us. Come, lift your voices to the Lord who always hears us. Call on the Lord who bends low to hear us. Listen, Lord. We lift our voices to you in praise. 
Call on the name of the Lord, all you people. Invite us to go to God as we pray our opening prayer before us. Living God, long ago faithful women proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and the world was changed forever. Teach us to keep faith with them, that our witness may be as bold, our love as deep, and our faith as true. Amen.
McGuire. We share the word of God responsibly as we find it as the 30th Psalm, number 762 in our hymnals. We will share in a sung response that you find as part of this psalm. As we get to those responses, uh, our choir will lead us in the response, but as a, a way of introducing those responses, first the, it will be played through, then the choir will sing, and then we will all sing together. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us, for we are those who come to this time of worship as those who hunger for your word, as those who desire to be fed and nourished, to be drawn closer to you, and to grow in our love of neighbor. For your word, we give you thanks. Amen. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and it did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. Sing praises to the Lord, O his faithful ones, and to give thanks to his holy name. Surely the Lord's anger is but for a moment. The Lord's favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I say in my prosperity, I shall never be I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? You have turned my mourning into dancing, and have lost my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may praise you and not be silent. 
And our New Testament lesson from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Again, Luke's first account of the conversion of Paul. We hear the word of our Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said to Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. For several days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And in the synagogues immediately he proclaimed to Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of our Lord. We stand as we sing.
Well, I'm guessing that one of the things that each of us carries with us when we come to this time of worship is our particular conversion story. Now, for many of us, the fact that we are here this morning is evidence there is near and dear to each of us some manner of conversion story. Now, for many of us, especially if we cannot remember a time in our lives without the church, it may be difficult for us to locate such a conversion story. At the other end of the spectrum, there may be those of us who, who could provide a great number of details speaking to an experience we name as conversion. And somewhere in between these two places may be found the remainder of us, those who may be able to speak in more general terms uh, about our relationship with Jesus Christ and our involvement with his church. And in none of this is there any suggestion that one experience of conversion is more valid than another. However, this is to suggest that as we speak of conversion, we are speaking of being converted from one manner of living to another from one orientation of living to another. As we speak of conversion, we speak of turning around, of changing directions. And specifically within our Christian faith, we speak of conversion as turning from a life in which we serve ourselves to a life in which we serve Jesus Christ. We speak of turning from a life in which we see ourselves as Lord to a life in which we confess none other than Jesus is Lord. There's also this. We speak of our conversion experience as one which makes us spiritual descendants of Paul. Because we really cannot speak of conversion very long without speaking about Paul, can we? And while it is not Paul who's telling us of his conversion, but the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, we see it's very important, according to Luke, that we know something of the conversion of Paul. Luke tells us of this conversion of Paul not once, not twice, but three times here in chapter 9 and elsewhere in chapters 22 and 26. In fact, it appears this experience of conversion is an experience especially important to Luke. We see this story of the conversion of Paul as a conversion sitting not by itself, but finding itself in the company of other conversion experiences in Acts. In chapter 8, there is the stunning conversion of a eunuch from Ethiopia. In chapter 10, we find the conversion of the first Gentile, Cornelius. And some would say there we find also the conversion of the apostle Peter, one who has now seen the light of how God's gospel is for all people. And in the series of conversion stories, the conversion of Paul, a story that we may set up as the prototype for conversion stories. We may speak of ours or someone else's conversion as a Damascus Road experience, a turnaround in someone's life so dramatic it can only be compared to 
Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Well, it is true. This story is quite dramatic. It is true this conversion grabs our attention. But it's also true this story is is quite troubling. It's true Paul is on his way to Damascus to cause further trouble for the young church. Still, there is nothing here to prepare us for this jarring encounter with Jesus. There's nothing here to prepare us for the bright light blinding Paul from heaven. There's nothing to prepare us for Paul being knocked to the ground. There's nothing to prepare us for this indicting voice of Jesus. Remember, Paul is not traveling alone. Those with him hear the voice, but they don't see anyone. And Paul is blinded by this experience. His fellow travelers now lead him by the hand into Damascus. And having finally arrived in Damascus, Paul remains without sight for three days, doesn't drink or eat a thing. Now this experience of Paul, this conversion story, we quickly embrace a troubling but disturbing and even frightening story, a story totally disorienting to Paul. Is this not how we would experience this encounter with Jesus if we were Paul? You see, this story is is no comfortable and consoling story. This is no beatitude, and this is no psalm of comfort. No, the Lord is my shepherd. Still, you and I here this morning, we embrace this story, don't we? We embrace it in spite of its terror, in spite of its shock, in spite of its attack on our senses. Yes, this is a story about a a man's life being turned around by Jesus. Yes, it is the nativity story, if you will, of the Christian faith's first and perhaps greatest missionary. For these reasons, we embrace the story. But may it be for other reasons as well we embrace this conversion story. Because perhaps it is that you and I carry some hope that what happened to Paul might also happen to us. We encounter this story and we dare hope perhaps you and I as well may find ourselves converted. We encounter this story and dare hope perhaps we too, with such certainty and with such clarity, may encounter the resurrected Lord. Because no matter where we may find ourselves in our journey of faith, no matter how mature we may be in our relationship with Jesus Christ, I can't help but believe each of us still feels some need, some hope of conversion. It may be we feel the need for this conversion after Easter more than at any other time. I mean, Easter carries us along on its own momentum for a while, doesn't it? 
we find ourselves infused for a while with some spiritual adrenaline. The Spirit has fed us and sustained us with holy music, with word and witness to resurrection. But then it may feel as if Easter fades in our rearview mirror, as if this place called Easter was wonderful to visit, we simply found we didn't have the means by which to stay there. And we were left wondering, what do we do after Easter? Well, could it be the place we go after Easter is Damascus? Could it be that as we travel to Damascus, we encounter that conversion for which we hope? Could it be that as we travel to Damascus, we realize this resurrection of Jesus is not a past experience, but an experience always present? Could it be that as we make our way to Damascus, we encounter the one who satisfies our desire to be converted? This is the one who dares tell us boldly, brothers and sisters, this resurrection story is not over, it has just begun. You need further proof? Look at what happens when Paul meets Jesus. Do you believe yourselves to be so different from Paul? Now, it may be there have been those times in our lives in which we have looked upon conversion as an experience not needed by ourselves, but by others. I mean, you know, it's like, I'm glad they heard that sermon today. They really needed that. I, I know that doesn't happen here at First Church, but it's happened in other churches, take my word for it. And we might be finding ourselves saying, well, we've already experienced our conversion story. Isn't that why we are here? But we look at our lives. We look at our lives in the light of Easter. And we find those places unconverted. We may find those places untouched by resurrection. We may hold this hope that we meet anew the risen Christ, may find ourselves hoping, praying, that it's not too late to be converted. And traveling to Damascus, we discover this good news. It's not too late. And for this good news, I'm grateful. For I know my desire for conversion in many areas of my life, that I eat better, that I exercise more, that I manage money better, that I show more discipline in a life of prayer, that I spend more time with scripture. You want me to go on? We could be here a while. And I know I'm not alone in this. And I find comfort that I'm upheld by this community of faith as I travel with you to Damascus. I share with you that desire to encounter the resurrected Lord who wishes to convert all those unconverted parts of us with the power of resurrection. I share with you that desire to 
uphold the right priorities to put those things that matter most first. I share with you the desire to grow in faith and worry less. I share with you the desire to tend to those relationships that matter most, including the relationship with God. I share with you the desire to give energy to those things that last and not give effort to those things here today and gone tomorrow. I share with you this desire for conversion, this desire that we encounter the only one who impacts our lives, as does this Lord of Resurrection. This is the one who can reorient our lives. This is the one who breaks into the life of this man on his way to Damascus and sets him on a new path. We see why this story sticks with us. Why, in spite of its troubling and disorienting elements, we refuse to let this story go. In spite of ourselves, we embrace this story. We make sure there is witness to this story in the stained glass of this church. Because we know we are never far from our desire to be converted. We are never far from wanting to confront this God who, according to the letter to the Hebrews, is a consuming fire. We speak of the resurrection of Saul or Paul, and it's fine that we do that. Still, we dare not neglect how this story tells us that it's not we who find God, it is God who finds us. It is God who is the main actor in this drama. We dare not neglect how this story tells us that we don't encounter God and have our lives remain the same after this encounter. We dare not neglect how our encounter with God is not an innocent, harmless experience, but an experience in which our senses are altered, our lives reoriented, our paths changed. Because we remember our God is a consuming fire. So we find ourselves after Easter on our way to a place called Damascus, never to be the same. Amen. Our affirmation of faith, number 882, I invite us to stand and respond to the word with this affirmation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You may be seated.
go to God as we pray, and we do so with a pattern of responsive prayer that we know as the prayers of the people. It is a time of prayer in which I will name a series of petitions, concluding each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and I invite from you the response, hear our prayer, and invite you to name those persons or circumstances that you would like to be lifted to God as we pray together. We go to God as we pray. Lord, we pray that as we come to you in this time of worship, we would know you as a consuming fire, as one who wants to burn away all sin and all rebellion so that we may find ourselves drawn more closely to you. We thank you for refusing to let us go, for continuing to work your purpose out so as to save us all. So Lord, as we go from this place, may we find ourselves drawn closer to you with a greater hunger for and a greater desire for you. May we find ourselves drawn to those words telling us that what matters most is to love you above all and to love our neighbors as ourselves. For this living Easter resurrection proclamation, we give you thanks, O Lord, in your mercy. And hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. <clears throat> Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Bishop Lewis, Bishop Weaver, Janine Howard, Denise Bates, the ministries of First Church, family of Rachel Held Evans, Lord, in your mercy, and hear our prayers joined with those of your saints, whose voices we hear now, and those who find their place along with the rest of us at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. 
our prayer, if confession is before us, we go to God as we pray. Lord, too often we take the easy option. We hide in shame. We avoid the Christian family. We bury ourselves in work. We come today asking for the courage to run to you instead of away from you when we are in trouble. Hear our prayers, Lord. Bend down low to attend to us. Guide us along the path of repentance that leads to reconciliation. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we hear this good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. And now we welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ. As we find our places, we prepare to worship God as we receive his tithes and our offerings. I'm outnumbered. And a reminder as the offering is received that as we come forward to receive the Lord's Supper, we have mission boxes here on either side. Again, the first Sunday of each month, these boxes are before us as an invitation to support the many mission ministries of First Church by way of your communion offering. Again, this is before us as you receive the Lord's Supper. I'll invite our ushers to come forward. As they come forward, also invite you to note the doxology as it is before us. I believe we will find the tune familiar, but the wording slightly different. Let us pray. 
Lord, we thank you. You bless us beyond measure each day, and you bless us with this opportunity to remember your love for us by returning these gifts to you. We give you thanks for all blessings in this time of worship and pray that these gifts returned unto you would accomplish great things for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
the table is set. The most gracious of hosts invites us. I invite you to follow along with the great thanksgiving as we see this projected, or if you want to follow along, beginning with page 9 in our hymnals. There are three sung responses that we are invited to offer, and as we approach those responses, our choir will lead us as we share in those sung responses. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and to death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice and union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. confidence that we have as children of God, we pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and to deliver us from evil for the kingdom the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. This is the table of our Lord, to which each of you is invited. It is his table. We are his guest. Our ushers will lead you down the center aisle. As you come forward, there will be two stations here. You will receive a portion of bread, which you are then invited to dip into the cup that will be held before you. And having received the body and blood of Christ, feel free as you feel led for a time of prayer here at the communion rail. Come to the table of our Lord. Our choir will come first. We share in the closing prayer. We go to God as we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We stand and share our closing hymn. 
we go as a light into this community and beyond. We go as a light because the light has come and dwelt among us. We go as a light because Christ is alive and he keeps his promise to be with us now and always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.